really know that suicide in and of itself isn't just a problem in and of itself. For most people, it's a solution to a problem. So when we're addressing suicide, when you're asking somebody tonight, I don't know if you caught this, there's a pastor 30 years old that took his life. Um, and I've, I just think it's extremely important to know how to address the issue. So when you're looking for signs of, of hopelessness in somebody, and I myself believe that aside from Satan, that the spirit of discouragement is the biggest, baddest demon in hell. I think because it stops us from ever actually trying anything. If he can discourage you from thinking that you're capable of making a difference, he can quiet your voice before you ever find your voice. He can stop you from gaining traction before you ever find your legs. And he can, he can stop you from gaining progress in life that God himself knows and has given you potential um, to achieve. But there's 15 million people diagnosed with clinical depression. Um, we have all dealt with a loss of people we admire or respect. And it's a considerable cost, not just to their immediate family, but to friends and friends of friends and those that have known of the individual. A lot of people deal with loneliness and it's terrible to suffer alone. That's, that's what the enemy tries to do. He isolates us. When I was in Africa, we went out on the safari, and there was a rhinoceros that we went to go see. The first time I was in uh, Zambia with a team from ORU, and I have never seen a larger animal in my entire life. And you've got to know that my grandfather was a cattle rancher. So I was around some big bulls in my life. I've ridden horses. I've seen Clinesdales. And this rhinoceros was massive, like over the moon. Like imagine a hippo, like two hippopotamus, right? And you could, you maybe have seen them in the zoo, but when you're standing like six foot away to eight foot away from one of these things, you're shaking in your pants. Like it's, it's pants wetting scared <laughs> or scary. And, um, Good to see my little guy here. We're going to pray for him. He's going to have a little cough. So JC's coming late and leaving early because uh, she doesn't want our little guy to um, get any worse. But he's been pretty, pretty good today. Anyways, we'll pray for Levi. If you haven't met him, that's my nine-week-year-old, nine-week-old son, week-year-old. Oh, is it eight? <laughs> We look. Yeah. So, uh, I love that little guy. And that's the kind of thing, you may not even have kids yet that you would impact if you weren't here. But you have to think about your future. Somebody else has, has, has a future with you that you haven't met yet. Or there is a child that would be a niece, a, a nephew, somebody that you're called to impact. And that person will be without you. I mean, you, you can't even imagine eons down the road how this will affect um, the grand scheme of the domino effect of what God wants to do. But bipolar and thought disorders um, are one of the greatest sources of fuel for suicidal tendencies. Most people suffering from mental illness seek help. But contrary to popular thought, suicide is preventable. Would you agree suicide is preventable? More than, more than any other problem, probably. Treatment actually saves lives, and doctors can't talk to patients about suicide. Do you know that? Our, our laws and some of the regulations that we impose on our physicians, it creates an environment in our society where we're not allowing a conducive conversation to bring about needed change, right? And a lot of times we try to treat with pills alone when we've got to, we've got to do it in two parts. Um, pills can help, subscriptions can, can help, but one of the things I think we need to do more than anything is learn to talk comfortably about suicide. What, what, anybody ever met somebody that was afraid to talk about suicide? Yeah, there's a lot of people that have been afraid to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to talk about because it's painful, and for people that have dealt with it, it brings up a lot of raw emotions. It might be that it brings up personal emotions because it's something that you've considered at one point uh, in a depressant part of your life where you felt hopeless. Um, but 
one I think we need to do is talk comfortably about it. And one of the, one of the fears, what do you think is a fear that, of talking about suicide for certain people? Certain parents don't want to bring it up with their kids. think if you say the wrong things, you'll make it worse. Yeah, okay, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. That's per That's great. Anybody else? Anybody ever heard somebody say, like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to put that thought in their head. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want them to think about it once I talk about it. For the majority of people, the thought is already there. Um, it's better to talk about the issues in life before people get to it. Um, than when they're really struggling with it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some questions to ask people that are struggling because it's better to ask the question than not to ask it, but you want to ask it in the right way. So I'm going to get there tonight. There's a Welch saying that says, no great misery goes unspoken. Almost everybody that's dealing with suicidal tendencies is expressive in some way or another. Has anybody ever had a friend? They post things online. Um, and they, they're kind of eliciting a response. A lot of times there's a fear, too, that I don't want to, if this person is looking for attention, I don't want to give them attention if that's all they're doing. Well, it's important that you take every threat as a credible threat. It's important that it might be somebody who cried wolf before or they had a depressive thought. Maybe it's, it's somebody that's just dealing with stress it's an immense amount of, of stress. But we've got to take every idea as credible as somebody that's really serious. So I want to, if you've ever heard somebody say, I want to sleep and never wake up, that's an indirect statement giving you an idea that they're struggling in some ways with what? Depression, at least, and possibly suicidal tendencies. That's um, a coded message, right? I want to sleep and never wake up. What's, what's another one that you may have heard? Anybody? Anybody ever heard somebody say something like, uh, nobody would miss me if I was gone? Like, yeah, I, I can't even with this. <laughs> a lot of times we make that a joke, right? But I can't do it anymore. I, I, just, I just give up. It's our coded messages... My family is better off without me. People feel like they're a burden on their family or their friends and uh, that they're not, they're not somebody who's contributing. We need to recognize the warning signs and quickly decode them and question them in an appropriate way. And talking about suicide relieves mental and psychological pain. I know that a lot of times you think, oh my gosh, I can make it worse. But... Talking about an issue, when it's a psychological issue, gives you a format for, I guess, working through your issues. A lot of people can't work through their issues internally. They need a sounding board. Is anybody else like that? I, I've, I've got to have somebody that I work through. I mean, I, I can journal sometimes. I can write down my thoughts. But sometimes I don't even know what I'm feeling. I don't know, I, I'll, I'll be irritated, and sometimes I don't even know it. And, and JC might ask me, what's got you frustrated? I don't know. I'm just frustrated. Sometimes it can be something surface. I'm hungry. I'm hot. I'm tired. Halt. Have you ever heard of that? Hungry. Um, angry. Lonely. Tired. Those are, the, those are the four times you want to know, like, is this a good time to have a conversation? Halt. Hungry, alone, uh, angry. What is it? Tired. Lonely, tired. Yeah. Um, I missed something in there. But anyways, we want to be. We want to have informed and compassionate responses. So you yourselves are what I'm going to call merchants of hope. Jesus came to spread hope, right? And and here's. Here's what I want to get into before I go any further into the psychological aspect of this. 
I want you to go to Matthew 27 in your Bible or on your phone if you've got version. And Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's right after Malachi. And the 27th chapter is after the 26th chapter. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Who's got this? All right. I want you to read the uh, first three verses. Okay. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the, pe of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate and the governor. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And I'm going to read that in my version because it says something. He's changed his mind. In my version, it says his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. And a lot of those, a lot of times that really does what remorseful means. I, I wanted to do that, but now I realize that my desires were wrong. It was, was evil or it hurt somebody. Uh, I feel a sense of guilt, right? Guilt is one of, a, one of the heaviest things that the enemy can bring to weigh us down. When I can't forgive myself, I'll carry the weight of guilt until it almost does away with me before I do away with me, right? I, I can stop. I'm, all I'm doing is surviving or existing instead of living free. And Jesus came to free us from ourselves. And if Jesus could forgive us of our sins, how much more important is it that we in turn forgive ourselves? Sometimes forgiving ourselves is one of the greatest challenges that we face. And we feel stuck because we allow ourselves to be stuck in a cycle of shame, control, fear. And shame, guilt is, is really a lot of the same thing where we... We hold on to it. When Adam was in the, in the garden, when Eve was in the garden, it was one of the very first responses to what? Sin. It was one of the very first. Uh, he, he said, Adam, where are you? He said, I'm naked. He said, I, I'm hiding from you. Why? Because I'm naked. A lot of times we don't like to get to a place where we're vulnerable um, because we feel ashamed when we're vulnerable and we feel guilty when we strip ourselves down and you show somebody the real you you're afraid are you going to accept me are you going to reject me are you you're going to take me in but the reality is that jesus has already accepted us and he's forgiven us and yeah every one of us is messed up i've done it today probably um but anyways i want to i want to continue reading so pick up verse four billy saying, I have sinned by the betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is it that, uh, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hung himself. You know, the church is supposed to be a place. These were rabbis, spiritual leaders, that receive somebody that's hurting, right? And and begin to counsel them and work through their issues. But they said, what is that to us? That's what religious leaders do when they're strictly religious leaders. They're traditional leaders. They care more about regulation and law than they care about people. This, these people cared less about what's going on around than they did about him. And I, they might have been feeling some guilt themselves. But that was blood money, right, that he threw down. And it says this in the next, in verse 5, Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Do you think that, that what he did was unforgivable? What, was, was what Judas did unforgivable? No. And in fact, there's a really good claim I can make that each and every one of you are Judas because Jesus went to the cross for you. You sold him out for your wrong choices. We sold Jesus out for, for our moment of pleasure in sin. Because sin is pleasurable. And anybody that tells you it's not fun for a minute is just straight up lying. Because sin is fun for a minute. It, it's the sting that comes at the end of it that's not fun. It, it's, it's, like the, it's like the scorpion. The sting's always, it's, it's the last part to hit you. 
But then it, it, you, you think, well, I had a really good time. And suddenly you realize, well, I lost my inhibitions. I made choices that I regret. This person is not the person I want to be with. Um, they're, they're manipulative. They don't really love me, and I've given myself away to them. I mean, there's lots of things in life that we, that we do in, the, in a moment of pleasure. And a lot of the music that we listen to encourages that. Let's just live for today. Anybody ever heard songs like that? Let's live for tonight. Let's be in the moment. Almost, almost every time I hear that, I'm like, the scripture never talks about that. Living in the moment. It, like, it, it always is like, prudence considers tomorrow. Prudence considers how you wake up. Prudence says one day you are going to leave Vegas and it will follow you home. <laughs> it won't stay here, whatever that is. You can uh, draw the, connect the dots. <laughs> um, what happens in Fight Club doesn't always stay in Fight Club. There's broken bones that will follow you home. <laughs> and there's things in life that are like that, but Judas, he ended himself. I mean, I think that Jesus would have restored him. I think Jesus had the power to restore him. I believe that Judas chose his path by ending it before he gave Jesus an opportunity to restore him. And if you ever grieve the Holy Spirit, I, that's, that's my belief, is that grieving the Holy Spirit is, is deciding in and of yourself that Jesus can't restore you, that you're too far gone, that you've made too many wrong choices. And um, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to dive deep into that tonight, but... It talks about the one unpardonable sin is, is grieving the Holy Spirit. Well, what grieves God more than to look across Jesus' sacrifice and say that it wasn't enough? You, it wasn't what Jesus did wasn't enough to save me. I'm too far gone. That grieves God. To, to not be reconciled to him. To know that you couldn't do it yourself, but Jesus did have the power to do it, and you didn't accept it. Um, so a lot of times that, that in and of itself is what? That H word we talked about earlier that drives most people to the solution of suicide. What is it? Hopelessness. That's right. Hopelessness. That's, that's the, the epitome of hopelessness. And then it says this. They said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the piece of silver in the temple, departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because they're the price of blood. That is blood money. This was the cost of an assassination. I, I actually, if I can read into this, I'll, I'll interpret it how I see it. It may not be completely accurate, but it's the way that I believe it happened. So understand that this is not Bible. This is interpretation. There's things that I tell you that is strictly biblical fact, and there's other things that I give, and, and, I'm, and I'm implying what I see. So I think that Judas recognized Jesus was the Messiah, and in and of himself, he believed that Jesus was going to restore Jerusalem to the nation that was independent from Roman subjugation and rule. And I believe that it was his thought or his inclination that he could push Jesus into rebelling against the Roman rule and accepting the herald of the people who had already just days prior, what, said, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is our king. They declared Jesus their king, and then the Rome, Roman rule referred to him as king of the Jews, right? So I actually think that he thought he was going to give Jesus that extra push so that they overthrew the Roman rule and Jesus set up his physical kingdom. Because Judas didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. And his kingdom was that of spirit and not of flesh. It wasn't a kingdom of conquest, at least not of land. It was of your heart, the territory of your life. He wants all of you. That's, that's the, the land of the real estate that Jesus is after is, is your heart. But at any rate... It says this, that they consulted together and bought within the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Isn't this amazing? Is that amazing? Jesus' blood money, the blood money that he did, purchased a, a property 
where men could be buried, right? And what happens when we get baptized? You go down to anybody, throw something out. We're buried in Christ. Yeah, you're submerged under the water. And what's that example of? We're buried with Christ. You're buried with Christ. So even with Christ's blood money, because it's his blood that covered us, it purchased a place where our flesh and our sin could die. Because the wages of sin are what? Yeah. Death. death. So in our death, our flesh has to be buried. The stranger, who is stranger to God? We all were estranged from God, which meant we were strangers of that kingdom. So when Jesus, this is a beautiful picture. It was under, it says this, God's direction, if you go to... Um, if you go to the new, it says this in one of the, I believe it's Romans eleven nine. It was under God's direction that the rabbis went and purchased the land with the blood money. So that your flesh could be put to death, so that your sins, the wages of death could be paid for, and then we could be no more estranged. The stranger is put to death, and now we become familiar with who God is, reconciled with God. And citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Man, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. God is so good that he would restore us at any time. And then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, excuse me, it was Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. That's Jeremiah 32, 6 through 9. If you want to go there. So it was prophesied ahead of time. Now here's the thing that's really interesting. John 17, 12. Who wants to read that for me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. I'm telling you that because there's a lot of people, I think, in here that don't know your Bibles. And I would like you to start bringing your physical Bible in because there's too many people that are biblically illiterate. You can pull it up on your phone, but you don't know where to find it if you were to actually pick up a book. So I want you to, so we can better understand that, I want you to try to bring your physical Bible in. John 17, verse 12. Anybody got it? Tosh, go ahead. While I, was, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So who, who is that? That was Judas. Judas was lost and that the scripture might be fulfilled. Some people read into that and they say that it had to happen so that the scripture could be fulfilled and that that was his destiny. He was destined by God to die in that way. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that he that the Lord knew that that was his choice already, that that would be his choice and so that he prophesied it as such. I don't believe that God doomed him to hang himself in that regard. But I want to, I, I, that was something that, was, that happened right there. Jesus came to give life, not death. And we, we've all, we're all guilty of hanging Jesus so that we don't have to hang ourselves. But when we, when we condemn the cross and we accept and embrace guilt and shame and we feel hopeless, we're saying that Jesus can't save us. Jesus can't. And, and so my bigger thing is, I want to tell you tonight that there's hope in Jesus. And the cross is big enough to take your problems and the weight of your shame and the weight of your guilt and the weight of your bad decisions and the weight of your remorse. And you can be different. You don't have to continue living the same way you have been. Maybe you're like, well, I've been addicted to this privately, this thing for the last 10 years. How am I going to get free of this? I, I can't get free. This is, this is who I am. I'm never going to get free. No, you can get free. And you just need to get some people around you that will help you with that. But um, we can talk a little bit more about this later. But there's – anybody ever wondered what happens after death or what happens to a person that commits suicide? Has anybody ever wondered? I think in the case of Judas, we know – that he is son of perdition, he was lost. Jesus said he was lost. So if I had to tell you right now, I think that Judas is in hell. And I don't believe that every person 
that commit suicide is on their way to hell. I think that there's people that have mental conditions. There are people that are struggling with, with mental health issues. And those things have driven certain people to make that decision. And God in his infinite goodness weighs every measure of and understands every mechanic that's going on inside of a person's internalities before he makes that. And I believe it's God's last resort, not his first resort, to send somebody outside of his presence and away from his, his goodness, right? That, that he, he's going to do everything within his power in order to recover every person, every created being. Because you were made his image, and in, as such, he loves you, right? So there are these fraction of seconds that happens between life and death that I believe somebody really can be remorseful. Um, but with that remorse, they offer up more than remorse, which is conviction. And conviction leads to repentance. And repentance says, God, I made a mistake. You can save me, right? So... I, don't, I believe that there are people that have done that. Now, I say to people that are asking me, sometimes people that come to me, Pastor, if I commit suicide while I go to hell, there's a really big chance that you're, you're going to go to hell if you don't straighten up and stop considering that as an option because it's a sin and the wages of sin are death. And if, you have a, if you're not operating in true conviction and repentance, you can't turn away from that decision. That's one decision you can't, you can't turn away from. So that's what I tell people. I don't think it's worth the risk. I don't think it's worth the gamble, right? Does everybody understand the discrepancy that I'm making in those two scenarios? So how do we deal with somebody that's struggling with this? Because suicide is preventable and treatment saves lives. So I want to talk to somebody. I need to know how to become a merchant of hope, how to become so I'm going to, it's, it's, a, it's an acronym called QPR. I want you to, to use that acronym, put it down. There's things like CPR, right? We have CPR, what is that? It resuscitates somebody with a, with a pulmonary resuscitation, cardiac pulmonary resuscitation, right? Yes. Yes. And so this is resuscitation of the inside. It's the, it's resuscitation of of uh, your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your mental well-being, right? So it's called QPR. I'm going to explain in a second. Not everyone is suicidal. Some are just stressed to the breaking point. But we need to understand the, the signs. The idea of putting the idea of suicide in someone's head is a myth. You're not going to do that. Uh, we need to intervene, and we need to have courage to overcome our fears. One of the greatest ways you can offer hope is through, anybody want to guess? It's when you're not talking. You're listening. listening. That's exactly right. When you're listening. Because I, in order for me to help somebody work through their problem, I need to know what the problem is. And suicide in its of itself is their idea about solving the problem. So I've got to get to the root. Suicide is the fruit. There's a problem that's at the root. And Dr. Paul Quinette came up with this. It's only responsible to do something that we know how to do when, we, when, when it needs to be done. To know how to do when it needs to be done. So we should not feel... Um, actually, I, I wrote this down and it, it auto-corrected so it's not making sense. That's why I'm trying to make sense of it right now. So basically, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. If you feel a sense of guilt because you think, I should have intervened before. You didn't have the tools to intervene before. Tonight, you're going to receive tools to intervene. So you'll know how to. So if anybody, again, guilt is something we lay at the cross. The QPR stands for question, persuade, refer. Say it with me. Question, persuade, refer. Let's all say it together at the same time. Question, persuade, refer. It's not in place or substitute for counseling or treatment. It's hope through positive action. And it's recognizing some of the myths. So if you wanted to take some of these notes, the myth is no one can stop a suicide. Fact, you can intervene and stop a suicide by referring to the right place. Question, persuade, refer. 
fact, if people in crisis get the help they need, they probably will never do it. It's not always true, and we don't have to take it upon ourselves responsible for it. But what we are, we're not responsible whether they choose to do it or not. That was their choice. We're responsible for doing all that we can do to intervene and looking for the signs, right? So myth, suicidal people keep plans to themselves. That's not true. A lot of them are expressive about it. Uh, like we said, there's a Welsh saying that uh, no misery, I don't remember what it was. No, it's not. It, it was, the Welsh saying is no great misery goes unspoken. But that's, that's true too. Misery loves company, so they'll talk about it. Um, myth, those who don't talk about suicide don't do it. A lot of people believe if we don't talk about it, then people won't commit. As oftentimes, it's the people that, that don't actually get out what they're feeling, that don't realize that they're not, they're on an, they're not on an island to themselves. Um, fact, any positive action may save a life. Ask someone if they're suicidal. May, and asking, may decrease suicide risk. Most suicidal people keep their plans to themselves. Is that true or false? False. Thank you. How can I help? You need to ask the question. Ask the question. The direct way is, are you suicidal? Right? I'm going to teach you an indirect way and a direct way. But that is the most direct way you can ask somebody, are you suicidal? And that has a tendency to work with young men, old men, guys, generally speaking, are just more direct. We're a little more blunt for whatever reason. Um, we're going to look at the warning signs and the clues that will tell us that somebody's at a greater risk. Here's direct verbal clues. I've decided to kill myself. I wish I were dead. I'm going to end it all. If such and such doesn't happen, I'll kill myself. That's called a contingent suicide plan. If this happens, if she breaks up with me, if she leaves me, if he leaves me, I'll kill myself. And some people literally use that as a, as a maneuvering um, manipulation tactic, yeah, inside of a relationship to try to get what they want. If you leave me, I'll kill myself. They're in an abusive relationship. The abuser will tell that somebody. So she should take it seriously, but it doesn't mean she has to stay, right? She doesn't have to stay in that. But all of those are actually things that people said before they committed suicide. They literally said those words. I decided to kill myself. I wish I were dead. I'm going to end it all. If such and such doesn't happen, I'll kill myself. Indirect verbal clues. I'm tired of life. I just can't go on. We said that earlier. My family would be better off without me. I won't be around much longer. Anybody ever seen that? A lot of times people post on social media. If they don't tell you in person, they'll have a post. And you'll have a clue as to where they're at. Pretty soon you won't have to worry about me. That's one I've seen a lot. Pretty soon you won't have to ever worry about me again. I just want out. Those are indirect verbal clues if, you want to, if you're taking notes. Here's behavioral clues. Any previous suicide attempt, that means they're at risk. It's an at-risk individual. Uh, acquiring a gun in depression. Not... Just having a gun doesn't mean you're, you're potentially suicidal. If you are depressed, and then, then they go and they get a gun. They've not owned one prior. They don't have any experience shooting, hunting. It's not sport to them. It's not for the sake of protection. Uh, guns in and of themselves are not harmful, but out of nowhere, acquiring a gun under grim, hopeless circumstance, stockpiling pills, Instead of taking pills, stockpiling them. Um, these are co-cutting. Depression, moodiness, and hopelessness. Hopelessness, all those together. Putting personal affairs in order. A lot of times, people will, they'll start getting everything taken care of. Their bills will get paid, taken care of. Their house, they start cleaning up their house. If their house has been dirty, suddenly it's pristine. And uh, there's either... They give away prized possessions. They'll, a lot of, they'll say, I want you to have, if I go, this is, or they'll straight up give you, here's my 75-inch, 80-inch TV. I want you to have it. Here's, here's, my, here's my Sony stereo system, my Bose system. I want you to have it. 
I don't need this car anymore. If somebody gives you their car and they don't have a new car, uh, and they're, they're still, like, you know that they're not about to get a new car, you should be concerned. <laughs> um, here, take my house. Now, if somebody's in their 80s, you know what I mean? We're not talking about that. Uh, but set an interest in religion if somebody's never had an interest in religion. A sudden disinterest in religion if people are walking away from their faith community. If they've been a part of a faith community and suddenly they're disinterested, they leave their faith community to make a suicide attempt. How many know if you're depressed, alcohol will fix your problems? True or false? False. <laughs> alcohol is a depressant. It's a depressant. It's going to make it worse. And it will cause you to, if any person has relapsed, they're at risk, high risk, uh, may indicate a person's in trouble. You need to ask about that suicide risk. Any person that's dealing with, with great unexplained anger, aggression, or irritability. Here's some situational clues, okay? I've given you behavioral clues. I've given you direct clues, indirect verbal clues. Now I'm going to give you situational clues. Being fired or expelled from school, a recent or unwanted move for young people. If somebody, if they didn't want to go somewhere, they're away from all their friends. They're totally isolated. Parents that had to relocate for job reasons. Um, an older person that loses driving privileges or is going to need to be moved into a, a nursing home. Um, they're losing their independence. It's a very dangerous. It could be a very dangerous time. Loss of any major relationship is usually the biggest one. So for young people, uh, sexual uh, relationship that's been ongoing for any amount of time, any, any amount of seriousness, and that, that person's gone. It's literally like grieving like somebody's dead, right, while they're living. Because that person who's a best friend has become a best friend is still alive, but you're no longer in a relationship with them. That person's at risk, which is a good time to talk about things. How are you feeling? If you're a friend of somebody that's just gone through a major breakup, are you struggling? Are you doing better? A death of a spouse, child, or best friend, especially if by suicide. Diagnosis of a serious or, ter or terminal illness may trigger a crisis. Any one of those, those are situational clues. Um, I'm on alert because I know that this could lead to depression. Depression in certain individuals could lead. It's, how many know it's important to know that for yourself too? Like, I don't. I'm not. I'm just going through a valley right now. I'm. I. I had to distinguish when I was going through a really difficult time that I didn't want to kill myself. I had lost a will to live. I had got to a place in life where, um, I. At one point, I, I hate to admit this, but I sat on my bed with my gun in my lap and, and fantasizing over ending my life at one point because I was struggling so bad. And I was doing ministry at the same time. It goes to show you that pastors, counselors, therapists are not above mental illness or mental health. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's personal. So I went to counseling for six months. I got help. I talked to somebody. And that is, that's why we talk to you about as, as question, persuade, refer. We're going to talk about who you can refer them to. Go see somebody. There, some people are worried about the financial cost of seeing a counselor. They don't feel like their insurance is covered. There is a place in this community that will see you, whether or not you have money. They work with you. Uh, and they're actually gov they have government grants. Uh, sudden unexpected loss of freedom or threat of punishment, like jail time, is a situational clue. Anticipated loss of financial security, primarily untreated depression. So, fear of becoming a burden to others is a situational clue to a potential crisis. But suicide, suicide, suicide should be taken seriously. True or false? True. Losing a loved one, especially by suicide, raises the risk of suicidal thinking and maybe even a suicidal attempt. True or false? True. If in doubt, don't wait. Ask the question now. It's important that, that you 
immediately move. I've got three minutes and I'm going to finish up. If they're reluctant, what should you do? Persist. Persist. Keep asking. Talk to the person along. Allow a person to talk freely without interruption, okay? Don't interrupt them. If they actually get to where they're open up, don't give them your advice in the moment. Hear them out. Let them finish what they want to say. You're not called to just fix the problem. Like You're called to listen to the problem, and then you empower them to fix it. But a lot of times, especially guys, we want to fix the problem. You tell us about it, we want to fix it. We're fixers. That's by nature. This kitchen sink breaks because JC accidentally put too much food down the disposal, and we want to fix it. I was I want to do it. I want to fix it. I'm just being silly. <laughs> I need a little comic relief. Sorry, babe. So we need to have resources ready. So here's the less direct approach. Have you been unhappy lately? Have you been very unhappy lately? Have you been so very unhappy lately that you've been thinking of taking your life? Can everybody ask that question? Say it with me. Have you been unhappy lately? Now, this is indirect. I mean, I've been unhappy. Unhappy doesn't mean I'm going to commit suicide. But if you think somebody is at risk, it, it is a path that somebody could take, and it's a way to get there if you think that they're at risk. I've been unhappy. I mean, I've been discontent. I, I've had to force myself to remember why I'm content, why I'm grateful, you know, for what I have and where I am. Like, I, unhappy, I'm in charge of my happiness, right? But there, we're talking about extreme unhappiness to the point of, of, of somebody is considering ending it all. So, have you ever wished that you could go to sleep and never wake up? That's indirect, less direct approach. Have you ever wished you could go to sleep? I mean, that means somebody's struggling with depression. If, if you wish you could go to sleep and never wake up, you are struggling, whether you, you want to admit it or not, you have struggled with depression at some point or not, or another. Uh, direct approach is, this again is best with young men or boys or older men. When people are as upset as you seem to be sometimes, they wish they were dead. I'm wondering if you're feeling that way too. I'm read that one more time. When people are as upset as you seem to be sometimes, they wish they were dead. I'm wondering if you feel that way too. You look pretty miserable. I wonder if you're thinking about suicide. Are you thinking about killing yourself? I will straight up ask somebody, are you thinking of taking your life? Are you thinking about it? What are you thinking about it? Is it? Are you putting together a plan? Have you Googled it? Have you, you know what I mean? How far, how far are you fantasized? How far in are you? What, what caused it? Um, I went and sat down with a friend of mine who was thinking of taking their life. And I, I and this is what you need to do. It's ask question QPR persuade, and then refer. Um, don't ask this. I'm just going to say this really fast. You're not thinking of killing yourself, are you? Because why do you think you shouldn't say, you're not thinking of killing yourself, are you? They possibly can, but you're, yeah, it, you're, pu you're pushing for a certain response. Like You want them to say no. Yeah, you want them to say no, and you realize you're not, you really don't want to hear them say, yes, I'm thinking about it. You're pushing them to do it, and they may lie to you. And, and of course, we don't want them to say that, but we're trying to get to the real reason. We're, you wouldn't do anything stupid, would you? I've said that one a lot. I was, you wouldn't do anything stupid, would you? You're not going to do anything stupid, right? I'm, and it's not the best way to ask. Suicide is a dumb idea. Surely you're not thinking about suicide. Certainly not thinking about thinking about it. That's, those are all things I want to say, but it doesn't lead to conversation. It leads to a quick response that you want to hear. It doesn't. It doesn't get you to have that. What? Where? What's going on? Get to whether where the problem is. Right. How to persuade someone to stay alive? Listen to the problem. Give them your full attention. Suicide's not the problem. It's only the solution to a problem. So don't rush into judgment. Offer hope in any form and ask this, will you go with me to get help? 
Will you let me help you get help? Will you promise me not to kill yourself? If that, the third thing is, if you already asked and they said no, will you go with me to get help? No. As you said, will you let me help you get help, which is give them the information. They say no. Then ultimately you say, will you promise me not to kill yourself until we've found help? At least consider options. And that's where I got. I, a guy wouldn't promise me that he could, we'd go get help. He wouldn't promise me that he'd take the information. But I said, at the very least, let's, I know that you're thinking about it. Let's try these, let's try some pills first. Let's try a therapist. Let's get some professional help. Will you at least promise me you'll do that before this ultimate life-ending decision? And finally, I got him to say, yeah, yeah, I will. But um, they often believe they can't be helped. There's a national crisis li line. So uh, I'm going to say a few, few more questions. This is a good example of how to ask the question. You're not thinking of killing yourself. Are you true or false? False. Thank you. First step to helping someone is simply listening to their problems. True or false? Take the lead. That's what I want you to do. Take the lead. Almost all efforts to persuade someone to live will be met with agreement or relief. So get involved and tell them this. I'm on your side. We'll get through this. That's bearing each other's burdens, right? We'll get through this. I'm, I'm not taking them on for myself, but we're bearing them together. I want you to live. So if, if this is really the third installment of What's It Matter to You? The series, What's It Matter to You? And if I didn't explain that, tonight is meltdown. Meltdown. We talked about frozen, dealing with debilitating fear and anxiety. We talked about um, what was esteemed, uh, dealing with boiling anger. Tonight is meltdown. Dealing with the down, the meltdown of sadness and depression when you feel let down. Um, so I want you to know that you're empowered to ask the question and you will not harm somebody by asking it, but ask the right way, which is, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you wishing that you would go to sleep? Are you so unhappy that you fantasize about taking your life? And how do we not ask it? Yeah, you're not thinking about killing yourself, right? I know it. I know that this, it, it's funny to do that, but I, I like the lecture setting and I like to ask you questions to see if you're listening, you're attentive. And I think that this is one of the greatest issues that we, um, we can face because a lot of our friends have dealt with this, right? But it says that he takes the... Um, the garment of heaviness and gives you what? Garment of praise. Yeah. It was a cloak of heaviness for a garment of praise. A couple things I want to add was um, I think a really important part of what you said was the refer is referring help going with them to get someone else to help you. Because like I know I've been in a place don't make me do that. <laughs> I've been in a place where I've tried to help someone but I was the only person helping them. And for so, it was a consistent thing where I was the only person and then I got dragged into a very depressed and suicidal state myself because there was like three or four people that I was helping and it was like I was their only lifeline and I didn't know how to reach out and get someone else to help them like, and help me walk through it. So make sure you finish out the QPR of that um, so you don't get in that. And then for yourself, I mean... From the biblical standpoint, you ask yourself, do you want to be Judas or do you want to be Peter? Because Peter betrayed Jesus three times as well. He literally did this, like, the same thing, betraying Jesus as Judas, but instead he turned that around and he had truly accepted the forgiveness of Jesus and repented. And then he became, like, a father to all the Christ Christians, Christians everywhere, and started this huge movement and, like, kept it going, and now we still look back on him today, and we're talking about him thousands of years later. So you got to ask yourself, like, do you want, like, you can't just end it because then there's nothing else you can do, but God can take that place that hurt. There's nothing you can't go too far one way, and he can't help you and move you and have purpose and greatness for you. And um, there was one other thing. Something, a statement that someone told me once was, um, 
you know the Bible verse that says he works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes so if it's not good it's not the end not every season in our life is perfect not every season in our life is good but if, it's, if you're in a place right now where you're like an abusive situation or you feel like you're so behind in debt or you're struggling with these huge things like ask yourself if it's not good it's not the end God has more in store for each and every one of us And I just want to say this. That was powerful.